Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode number seven of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. My guest today is Dora Award-nominated actress and singer, Erica Peck. She got her first big break in 2007, when at 19, she won the role of, of Scaramouche in the original Canadian production of Queen's We Will Rock You. She followed that up by working with the legendary Andrew Lloyd Webber. Since then, she's become the go-to performer for rock musicals, having performed in Kinky Boots, Hairspray, Cabaret, Rocky Horror Show, Jukebox Hero, and she is soon to be Rizzo in Greece. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, and welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. So what are you working on these days? Well, I just finished uh, a musical called Jukebox Hero, which was here in Toronto. Uh, it, was the, it was a world premiere, and it was all the music of Foreigner, which was cool. Uh, I was so, I was, I'm seeming to carve out a bit of a niche for myself doing rock and roll musicals. So we finished that, uh, and I, we're not sure yet if it will have a life beyond what we did here in Toronto. Sometimes it goes on tour. Sometimes it does nothing. And I actually now, I have a bit of a break uh, until June when I'm going out to do Greece. I'm going to be playing Rizzo in uh, Greece at the Drayton Festival, which is a summer stock festival that runs in and around Ontario. And that's what's next. Cool. When you were growing up, what drew you to performing? You know, I always loved to sing. That was always like as far back as I can remember. I remember being at, at like our grade three uh, Christmas concert and having my Walkman with Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard soundtrack and just singing my face. I've always, always, always been a singer. Um, but I didn't really know that it would be like a career because I didn't really understand that it could be um, because at that time you were either going to be like a pop singer, which I wasn't going to be um, or an opera singer, which I also sort of realized wasn't for me. So it was just something I just did. I just did like, it sounds strange, but my parents were always, I was, an, I was an only child. And so my parents, wanted me to, you know, get out and have friends and be a bit more social. So their whole thing was, we don't care what you do, but you have to have a passion. It can be sports, which it definitely wasn't. Uh, it could be academics. It can be, you know, visual art, anything you want, we will support, but you have to have something. And so I tried a whole bunch of things when I was little. I was really lucky to have parents who weren't stage parents, but they were really supportive. And music was the one that really stuck. And to be honest, it kind of wrote itself because once I was taking singing lessons, I wanted to join a choir and I wanted to pursue it more. Um, I, I was always a pretty independent kind of go-getty type of person. And then I went to, I grew up in kind of a small town uh, called Port Credit. 
and I did not want to go to high school with the same people I had gone from kindergarten to grade eight with. (laughs) And so there was an arts high school that you had to apply to get into. And I applied and I got in. And so that was really when I started focusing on music pretty heavily. 25% of my day every day was spent learning about music, uh, whether it was technique, like performance technique, whether it was um, theory or history. And was it acting as well in the high school? No, it's funny, you know, some, a lot of theater kids, we say theater kids our whole lives, um, <laughs> but a lot of theater kids like sort of started in theater really young and have always loved it and been passionate about it. And I wasn't like that. I was honestly just singing until grade 11. And I tried out for the, the musical in high school, honestly, because it was an opportunity to sing. And it was Les Mis, and I ended up getting the part of Eponine. And I literally went to the audition because I knew the song. And suddenly I'm in this musical that I've never heard of and didn't know any music to. And that was, that was a late bloomer to, to theater in general. But that said, I always had a flair for the dramatic. I was always a, a, a big personality. I was always expressive. I was really just a theater kid who didn't realize they were a theater kid. But doing Les Mis uh, in high school was was 1,000% where I found my place. I sort of came out of that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity to do all of the things that I love about everything I've been doing in music was really theater. I just didn't realize it. Like storytelling, having the opportunity to move people using my voice and emotion, but also the teamwork aspect of what I was doing in choir. Dancing was scary because I was so late to it. Acting I really took to pretty quick, but dance to this day is still, you know, it's, it's a challenge because I get, I'm not, I don't have a dance brain. So learning it is a challenge. Once I have it, it's a blast, but still when I get a theater job, you know, choreography days are hard for me because mentally my brain just, it's not a natural fit, but I just force it to fit anyways because it's what I love to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And from there you went to musical theater program at Sheridan? Well, um, actually I took a year um, and I wasn't, you know, my, my parents at that point and a lot of my teachers were like, well, you know, this is a really hard thing that you think you want to do. And you really better make sure that it's what you are meant to do. Don't do it if it's like you have three options and that's one of them. Do it if it's the only thing that will make you happy. And I really wasn't sure. And so I spent a year going to U of T and just sort of a general arts degree. And I said to myself, take this year and take every opportunity you can find to sing. And if at the end of this year, you still think that you want to do this, then you really should. And so in that year, while I was going to U of T, I joined a gospel choir called Sharon Riley and Faith Corral. And uh, like little did I know when I joined it, but they were, they are the sort of most working gospel choir for hire and worship in Ontario. And so, you know, within a couple of weeks, I was, I grew up in the United Church, um, which was sort of like, you know, you're cold, come on in. But now I'm going to these like 
Baptist and Seventh Day Adventist churches and seeing these like incredible displays of faith and music and passion. And then at the same time, they are hired on a corporate level. So, you know, we did backup for the killers at the MMBAs and we would do um, a lot of uh, conferences and corporate events just as entertainment. And so I did that. I did Canadian Idol um, back when that was still on the air. Um, and um, any, literally any opportunity I could get. And it was a good year. I did well. Uh, and and it, fell, it felt right. And so I applied to musical theater school. And I didn't get in. <laughs> uh, I made the waiting list. And fortunately, whoever they did want didn't end up going. So I got to go. And the last two weeks they before the program started, they called and they said, hey, we have a spot available. And I remember I was so scared. I cried on the very first day because I thought everybody was going to be basically a professional. And I was going to be this sort of like kid who wandered in, who saw like an open door and just wandered in. And what I didn't realize was that's what theater is. Theater is a room for kids who kind of don't check every box, but are more passionate than most. And yeah, so basically I, I went to theater school for a year and a half and it wasn't the best fit. Um, it was a more conservative and traditional program than I had experienced in high school, which was also an arts performance program, but they were a little bit more organic. It was a little bit more about independent creation and identity. Whereas I went to Sheridan and they were a little bit more like, these are the ropes of this business. And this, these are the rules basically. And I was like this punk rock kid who, you know, had this whole life outside of theater. And so that was a tough fit for me, but it was a good thing I went. And, uh, in the end, I about a year and a half into the program, I saw a, a newspaper ad that they were auditioning for We Will Rock You, uh, which was a Queen musical that was going to be coming to Toronto and they were holding open auditions. And I went and I waited all day. I waited for like eight hours on like a cold floor at the Canadian Opera Company. Finally, I went in and I sang. And then they said, okay, let's have you back. And they gave me a package of audition material, which was lines and music to learn. I ended up doing seven callbacks over the course of about two and a half months. And for the very last one, I remember it was at 9 a.m. And my parents drove me because I was 19 um, and I didn't have a car yet. My parents drove me down. I had to miss school. I had to lie to school and tell them that I had like an orthodontist appointment or something. And I drove down at 9 a.m. and I walked through the stage door of the Elgin Theater and my parents were waiting outside in the car. And about two minutes after I walked in, behind me walked Brian May and Roger Taylor from Queen. And my mom turned to my dad and she said, holy shit. (laughs) She said, don't pay the tuition for next semester because she's going to get this job. And that's, you know... They, my, they just, they just knew, and uh, and I did. I ended up getting the lead role, and it changed my life forever. What is your favorite Queen song to perform? To perform, it's it's such an obvious and easy answer, but it has to be Bohemian Rhapsody, or we call it Bo Rap. I mean, keep in mind, I now, um, so I guess I should say, I ended up doing We'll Rock You here in Toronto for two and a half years as the lead girl, uh, the character's name was Scaramouche. And 
then uh, we closed in the city and I had a couple of years where I went out and, you know, was a, a free bird and did other work. And a few years after that, they called again because they mounted a U.S. national tour. So I actually ended up going out on the U.S. national for another year playing a different character, playing one of the supporting leads. So I have actually performed Bohemian Rhapsody infinitely more times than Queen has. <laughs> and, and so there's an intimate knowledge of this music and the stories behind it and also the people involved because one of the best parts of being in that show was that both Ben Elton, who wrote it, and Brian May and Roger Taylor, who obviously are the original members of Queen still performing today, uh, they were all significantly involved. And so they've remained friends. I mean, when they played in New York last year, I went and saw them and got to go backstage and it was a big exciting thing. And, and really they shaped my, my adult life. They shaped who I became, you know, because really that year and a half of college was sort of like the applied section of my education, but We Will Rock You was school. We Will Rock You was where I learned the day-to-day balance and application of what I do. And really, they were a massive part of that. So but Bohemian Rhapsody, nothing is more fun than uh, entertaining a crowd for two and a half hours. But also, nothing is more challenging than entertaining a crowd for two and a half hours, especially when you're on stage for most of that. And so when we would get to bow rap right at the very end, the audience would completely lose their mind because they've been waiting the whole time for it. And that song just lends itself so well to 30 insanely colorful characters on a stage with explosions and rocking out and headbanging and all the things that you, d- you imagine when you're listening to bow rap in your car, people got to see it on stage. And that was just, to this day, it's just the freest, most enjoyable time you could spend on a stage. It really is. When We Will Rock You ended, were you at a bit of a loss of what to do next? Because that was such a big part of your life. Um, yeah, you know, it was a strange time because it was all I knew and it ran for so long here in Toronto. But at the same time, we were the first show, I think, in a decade to run longer than six months because the city had dealt with SARS. They had dealt with um, new border laws. They had dealt with the Canadian dollar strengthening. And so our our tourism was was incredibly deflated. So really, we had been preparing to close since six months into the run. (laughs) We had been ready and... And, you know, it, it's, it's, this life is very much on your toes. So at, at two and a half years, keep in mind of doing the same show eight times a week, it was time and we were ready. That said, I had in my personal life, a lot of really exciting things. I had met my now husband, uh, his name's Robin. Uh, and so we had just met and just fallen in love. And, and I also had already sort of um, booked, I'd already booked uh, the world premiere of an Angel Ed Weber show that was to run in Toronto. So while it was sad to have it end, you knew it had to. And what a time to end when I have all of these, and I was still only 22. And I had all of these really incredible, exciting things that were about to happen. So it was hard, but truthfully, your body 
your voice and your mind were ready. Yeah, you need a break after all that. Absolutely. But nothing, and also too, it's a lot easier. And now that I'm a little bit more experienced and I've been doing this for 10 years, a lot of, I mean, a show is a, a lot easier to close when you have something else lined up. Because in your mind, there's a new adventure and a whole new family of people and a whole new body of work you're going to know very soon. Right. And what was it like working with Andrew Lloyd Webber? Uh, it was, well, I mean, it was intimidating at first. Because really, I mean, it's rare in a certain industry to have one person be so influential. Like Andrew Lloyd Webber to musical theater, like he wrote The Phantom of the Opera. I mean, if you don't know anything at all about musicals, you know something from The Phantom, you know, or something about The Phantom or you've seen the poster and the mask. Like it's just such a massive linchpin in our industry. And so there was definitely pressure. I wanted to do well for him. I wanted him to be pleased. And I also think in Canada, sometimes we feel the need to prove that we, that while we are a smaller, less sort of historied country, we can offer the same talent pool as America or Europe. And I've, I've definitely felt that pressure because I was the star of the show. And so hopefully we did that. I mean, I don't know. He seemed happy. <laughs> you know, it was, and it was really, you know, I've had now the experience of working with some of these really incredibly experienced people like Queen and Cindy Lauper and Angela Weber and now Foreigner. And what you realize once you're in the room together is that you're all just working artists and you're all impressed by each other's skills and talents. And especially when those people are so much older than you, what you realize is they've had a magical combination of incredibly hard work, a little bit of luck, um, but they've also had a lot more time. So they realize that and they look at you with the same different, but the same amount of respect as you look at them, you know, and that enables you to do your best work when you're in the room with people like that. Because if you just spend all your time thinking about all the crazy shit they've done, well, you'll, ne you'll just be so overwhelmed that you'll, you, you won't do your best work. You did Kinky Boots. What was that like? I did. Well, that was an interesting one. Um, it was the very first time I had ever been in the ensemble and I'd ever understudied. So that was strange at first because... It was weird to not have the weight of an entire show on my back. I had always played either the lead or a very strong supporting lead. And uh, it was very foreign to be on a stage and to not feel like you had to drive every single scene and every single song. And then I realized it was fantastic <laughs> because I still got to be on stage and I still got to contribute. But, you know, if I had a day where I went to work and I was like, I don't feel 100% today, that was okay. And that was manageable. You know, Kinky Boots is a pretty magical experience in the sense that they are very familial there. So when it closed in Toronto after a successful run, they actually called and ended up taking me out on the U.S. national tour. And not just me, a few of the Toronto cast members. And that was like that was an absolutely incredible thing and very fortunate for me because 
at that time, most of the Canadian productions going on were things that I couldn't be in, like Million Dollar Quartet, which is um, um, a male-dominant show, uh, or Mamma Mia, which I don't, my age bracket didn't fit in. So having that, you know, really two years of work at a time when the industry was pretty limited was incredible. And also as a Canadian, getting to work in America, getting to go on tour and see all of what America has to offer in small little batches uh, is just incredible. I mean, absolutely amazing. So it was, it was a good experience and it just came at a really, really wonderful time. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way about auditioning, about the industry, advice that you could pass on to other artists? Most artists have heard this before, but if it isn't the only thing for you to do, you shouldn't do it. Because like anything else from the outside, it looks like it is fun and easy And if not easy, it looks like it's fun. And people sometimes, you know, they sit down, they go, yeah, I could do that. I could do theater. It'd be great. And it's never the actual thing that's hard. It's getting the opportunity that's the challenging part. Once you're in the room and once you have the chance to play, that's, that's of course the part we all want. And that can be fun. And sometimes it can be easy, usually not as easy as it looks, but still, but really, the, where the dedication and the focus and the where all the hard parts are, are the pursuit of it. So work ethic on your downtime is really important. And I would say a good majority of artists have to either don't realize it yet, or they have to realize the hard way that a large portion of people's opinions about you are from your backstage demeanor and your backstage um, activity and how you represent yourself with the people you work with. You can go out on stage and be fantastic, but people will always hire the person who's just a little bit easier to work with and who has a bit more passion to make the room a good space. Like making a room a fun place to be is really important, especially if you're doing a show that is a drama or if you're doing a show, well, really, if you're doing any show, it's important to be able to leave that on the stage and come backstage and have the relief of a, of a safe and fun space to be. Because on stage, it's very serious. It's very, very... One, the, the biggest difference between musical theater and live performance, like as a, I also obviously work as a gigging vocalist and, you know, I do radio voiceover ads and commercials. And, but really, the biggest difference of musical theater is that if I'm a gigging singer and I can't do the G that night, well, then I just do something else because it's me as Eric Peck. But if I'm in musical theater, you have to do that G because that's what's in the music. And that's what some people are waiting for and expecting. And similarly, if I'm a gigging vocalist and usually I'm doing kicks and spins and running all over the stage, but tonight my ankle hurts and I'm not going to do that. Well, I can add something else that will make up for that. But in musical theater, it's so precise because there's 25 other people on the stage with you. So if you don't feel like doing that tonight, you might get kicked in the head by somebody else. You might like it's, it really is much more specific. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so really just making sure that you're, that you represent the best parts of your personality 
when you go to work and work is in the green room work is when you're talking to other coworkers you know, you're always at work when you're at work not just on the stage is there a role that you're still dying to play that you haven't had a chance yet oh absolutely and the great thing about musical theater is those roles can change as you age up. I'm just coming into a, a point in my career now where I'm starting to be a little too old for certain things, especially because right now in our industry, there's a very large push to cast extremely young. It's, it's much more film and television based that way. So that can be hard sometimes. Right now, I mean, I, I definitely want to be, I, I would love to be in Wicked. That's my big dream. I want to be Alphaba and Wicked. I want to be green. I want to hold the broom. I want to fly. I, that's a dream. But, you know, I'm starting to look forward uh, and sort of plan for the next, you know, five to 10 years of things I could now be eligible for that I might not have been five years ago. And that's really exciting because there are some really phenomenal roles being written for women. In fact, dare I say, there are better roles being written for women of that age than there are being written for young women. And so that's exciting. And yeah, it always changes. Wicked, for sure. I mean, a big one I actually just got to do. I always wanted to be in a really lavish production of the Rocky Horror Show. And I got to, I just uh, finished last season at the Stratford Festival of Canada. It was the longest running musical they had ever done. We ended up running uh, from May till December. We were supposed to close in October. and. It was undoubtedly one of the most magical experiences in my entire career. It was everything that I thought it might be. We had an absolute blast. I made some of my best friends, and there's a good chance that it might happen again. So, yeah, so goodbye in, in theater. Goodbye isn't always forever, especially not in Canada. The success of it might bring it back. Well, yeah, and what happens is other companies might decide to put it on after they see their safety in numbers, right? And after one company does it and it does well, then other companies might be so bold as to put it on and take those risks. And so that happens a lot in Canada where if you do one show, you'll probably get picked up to do it again, especially if it's a role that's harder to cast or a role now you already know, you know, I mean, what's easier doing cats with 30 new dancers or doing cats with 30 people who all know already know the show. Yeah. So what is your big picture? Why? Why do you do what you do? Because it was the only thing that I was put on this earth to do. It was the only thing that ever made sense. It just, everything else seemed a little beige and a little boring by comparison. It was really just the only thing I was ever going to do. I'm sorry, it's not, it's not deeper, but it really is. It's that simple. It's just all roads led to that. Yeah, and I think it has to kind of be that to be successful. In musical theater, you know, and I've seen it, I'm very fortunate because I don't have a great wealth of dance experience and my acting is you know, fine. I'm a fine actor, but where I really book work is my voice. And I was, I was, I, I have spent my entire life studying voice, but I also was gifted with a natural ability that I then worked 
on and shaped. But I've seen in this industry where there are people who have that same amount of passion and that same work ethic, and it just doesn't happen in the same way for them. So that's, that's the, the art and the heartbreak of performance. Like that's, you know, I mean, how many musicians know a great guitarist that just never got his dues and, and how many actors have this incredible teacher that they can't believe didn't do more. And so really it's just, if all roads point to that and then it happens for you, how fortunate, really, how fortunate are we? Yeah. And if it doesn't, you have to want it bad enough that you're going to keep going with the struggle. Yeah. Or find another facet of the industry that also satisfies you and makes you happy. It never leaves you. Performance and art and, and music, artistry of any kind, it doesn't go away. You might not be pursuing it at the moment, but it's always a skill that you have. You know, when I go and I work at, I work you know, with high school students sometimes and I will say to the class, you know, how many of you think that you want to do this full time? And maybe two or three hands will go up and I'll say, that's the perfect number. It shouldn't be more than, but then I say to the other kids, okay, well, the things that will set you apart if you become a lawyer or a teacher or a doctor or, oh my God, a waiter, the ability to improvise, the memorization, the discipline of practice, the discipline of, of, art of the focus to make better art it all helps no matter what you do you might walk away from it or leave it for a while but it's in you so it's always it's always there you're always using even if you don't realize it once you have it it's in your toolbox and you'll just reach for it without even realizing it yeah so thanks for joining us where can people find you online uh i am on instagram at wild thing vintage or at introducing Erica Peck. My side hustle is a vintage shop. And so I, that's another sort of outlet to my creativity. And other than that, uh, Facebook, or you can always give me a Google. A Google. Anything else you want to add? Buy a ticket to something that you might not have ever attended before. Push yourself. Push your boundaries. Even if you hate it, you went. You showed up. You tried something new. It's valuable. And it's still good experience. Absolutely. This was a fun episode for me because I love musical theater. And it was inspiring to hear about Erica's experiences with Queen and all the other shows that she's been a part of. Her passion for what she does shines through. A good takeaway from the interview is how important your backstage energy, activities, and how you represent yourself with people you work with are. No matter how talented you are on stage, People will always hire the person that's easier to work with. For detailed show notes, visit dianefoy.com slash 007. And if this show inspired you, please share it with your fellow performers and art supporters. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. 